Welcome to it. It's Husker Sports Weekly, your one-stop shop for all things Husker Sports, episode number 102 coming at you this week. And Nebraska is playing one of the biggest football games they have played in a while. And they travel to Purdue this weekend to take on the Boilermakers, and they have a right to take first place with a win this weekend if everything falls correctly for the Cornhuskers. So we'll see how that plays out, but one of the bigger games in recent memory happening in West Lafayette this weekend. We will preview it all for you here today, and we will, as always, do our pick segment at the end of the episode of 1-2-NU with this just ridiculous slate of college football here And what is this now? Week eight of the season? Crazy, yeah. So we will dive into that as well. But before we get into any of that, Connor Clark and Grant Hansen here with you as always. You can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hansen, not Hansen. E-N, not O-N. Thank you. You can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks to find our show. We are joined by a special guest in studio today. He is a new professor at the UNL Code JMC. He's done work for NBC Sports. He's been to Houston. He's from Nebraska. He's a frequent guest on Hale Varsity Radio. It's Bill Dolman. And Bill, what what do you not do? That's the one question I have. That's a really good question because I, I, I would have to stop and think for a moment in terms of what I haven't done and what sports I haven't called. And sometimes it's a real stumper because I've been blessed to be able to do a lot of different things for a lot of different people which also means that they've also not hired me to do things, you know. So, yeah, I've done a lot, and it's been a lot of fun. What's your <clears throat> favorite part, or what's like been different about coming into academia here and, and teaching at the university? Well, I'm discovering that not a lot of people use pens mm. and paper. Mm-hmm. It's all computer-based, and that has been uh, quite the eye-opener for me. But I've loved it. I love being around young people. I loved, uh, I loved the opportunity to come back home to the University of Nebraska, a place that I love, a school that I enjoyed attending just a few short decades ago. Um, everything about it has been fantastic, and I love the forward thinking uh, by the College of Journalism and, and Dean uh, Sherry Vale to to put an emphasis on sports because it is you know it's fun for one. Let's face it. But it's culturally significant in so many different ways, and you can tell so many great stories. Sports is the grandest stage for storytelling. And it doesn't matter if it's the biggest football game of the week or uh, an Olympic sport that people may not know a whole lot about. There are great stories to be told and ways to move people that only sports provides. And I love the fact that our college recognizes that, that it's not just about wins and losses and the final score. It's, there's so much that goes into it, and I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. Well, I know we, we stop by your office quite frequently because we have class right across the hall on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and it amazes me that we will find ourselves in the middle of a conversation about a, a sport that I've never heard of <laughs> that's being performed <laughs> in the Olympics or, or just something that I don't know what the hell is going on. But it's, it's fun to talk about stuff like that, and uh, yeah, I mean – you mentioned it, the uh, the emphasis on, on sports, not only wins and losses, but just reporting in general. I mean, we, we've just finished up a project doing that, kind of doing a radio story on a, in a quote, underserved community. Um, so just kind of getting to the, the outer realm of sports. It still has to do with sports, but, you know, 
it's deeper than the wins and losses. You can find Bill on Twitter at Bill Dolman, so go give him a follow. And let's jump into this Purdue-Nebraska game this weekend. So the Boilermakers and the Cornhuskers, two of the longest names in the Big Ten Conference, (laughs) square off in West Lafayette on Saturday at 6.30 p.m., and this is one of the bigger games that Nebraska's played in recent memory. Both of you have been around the program longer than I have because I'm an outsider, apparently. But Nebraska's three and three, two and one of the Big Ten. Purdue is four and two and also two and one of the Big Ten. Purdue is one three straight, and they come in with a, a veteran offense, really a veteran defense. And Jeff Brom has done a really nice job of turning that program around. Um, in the past decade or so, Purdue comes out as, what, a 13.5-point yeah. favorite in this game, which is a little surprising, but at the same time, I understand. Um, it's a night game in West Lafayette. I don't think many people outside of Lincoln are very bought in on this Nebraska team just yet, and rightfully so. And Aiden O'Connell has, has been a really good quarterback for Purdue the past couple of years. So I think the the line, for the most part, is fair. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how Nebraska comes out and responds in a, what is going to be a hostile environment. We heard from Mickey Joseph on Tuesday that he called you know Rutgers a, a so-called sellout, which it was. I mean, it a so-called sellout. You could see plenty of empty seats there out in Piscataway. And again, that's not to, yeah, to the Mets roast. going at the same time. That is true. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to roast R. Rutgers, R. Mets. Here, but it was just it was not a sellout. But Purdue Purdue at night later in the season is always a tough out. And I don't think that you can count that aspect of this game out. And that's something that really concerns me. But we'll go to Bill first, and then Grant will go to you. Yeah. Initial thoughts about this game. What do you expect to see from Nebraska? How do you like their chances on Saturday? Well, I'm uh, in the camp with Mickey Joseph that uh, I'm glad it's a night game. And I'm glad that people in West Lafayette will be interested and that they'll be there. We've seen some games at Purdue in recent years where – uh, they pulled off upsets. Ohio State, most notably, what, about five years ago, a mm-hmm. night game, there there were people there. But there have also been those days in West Lafayette when, as I've talked about, places like Northwestern where you can hear the bottle of schnapps hit the, you know, hit mm-hmm. the seats because it's so quiet and uh, it's a bad atmosphere. Rutgers, okay, you sold out the tickets. That's fine. But keep in mind, probably a third of those tickets went to Nebraska fans in the neighborhood. So there was a lot of red amongst the black jerseys, the black shirts that they were hoping to be there. And I mean that by their fans, not Nebraska's defense. Mm-hmm. But And there were a lot of empty seats. I've always maintained in all of the games that I've, de- I've done, games that I've watched, when you have a bad atmosphere, it is really, really difficult to play in. Uh, even for the home team, if nobody's showing up to a home game, it's tough to get motivated for. If you're a really good team going into a bad atmosphere where there's nobody in the stands and there's nothing going on, it's tough to get up, and that's where you can uh, have that trap game. But if it's electric and there's a legitimate sellout crowd and there's excitement around it, how do you not get up for it? no matter which team you are. So I think that does play to Nebraska's benefit if there are some excited fans there. And I think Nebraska's going in with probably more confidence than we've seen in years, Uh, maybe more so since Scott's first year, where everybody's really kind of excited and and intrigued about what they might see on Saturday. I don't think Nebraska's going to take a defeatist attitude in there at all. Yeah, I think there's been two thoughts I've kind of had 
you know, throughout this whole week. And the first one is this, like, I don't think you're going to have to worry about Nebraska being up, get like high energy for this game. We've seen in years past a couple of October games where Nebraska just comes out and they just lay an egg and they're just totally flat. Minnesota a year ago really sticks out. You had captains after the game saying, yeah, our guys were down in year four uh, of a head coach, right? You do not, I think, have to worry about Mickey Joseph having this team energized, ready to play, and focused. So I think that is one thing that's been different than years past. Another thing that's different than years past, they're playing meaningful football in October. And I'm going to be honest, I don't really think really in any of the last few years that that was the case. I think like maybe 2019, maybe a little bit. I mean, you can make the argument last year because they were 3-3 three and three halfway through the year. but That's true. And they look, I mean, the Michigan game was also in October, right? right? So kind of. But, like, you know, at that point, you know, there was you – know, no one was talking about them having a chance to win the West. And and maybe in this case, having talking about them having the chance to win the West is more delusional even than a year ago. But, you know, it's, it's a situation where, look, they've got a legitimate shot against a team that, in my mind, has really struggled to put their opponents away all year long. And another thing I think that is really important is – like people talk have talked a bit this week about Nebraska being shorthanded at certain positions. Uh, it'll be interesting to see health status updates on Luke, Luke Reimer and Quentin Newsom. But Purdue's going to be shorthanded in a few spots too, most notably the running game. Uh, they're going to be down King Daru and their first of two walk-on running backs that are going to be taking the majority of the carries this week. So I think that is really something to to monitor. And if Nebraska you know, doesn't have to pay attention to the run and can, you know, rush four, rush three, and hold up in coverage, uh, that could make things really interesting. I want to dive into Aiden O'Connell here real quick because he's. it seems like he's been at Purdue forever, which he kind of has. This, I believe, is his sixth year yep. with the Boilermakers. Now he hasn't started every single year, obviously, but he's a quarterback that can put together a pretty good game, and we know Purdue wants to throw the football. They average just about 300 yards through the air a game, which is – almost 200 yards more than they rush per game. So they want to attack you through the air. Last game, O'Connell went 30 for 41. He threw for 360 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He took five sacks, however, which is a number that sticks out to me. In that win against Minnesota on the road, he went 27 of 40 for 199 yards, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. So those are his last two performances for the Boilermakers. And the yards were there last week. Obviously, the sack number high. He had a couple of touchdowns, but he did him an interception the week before against Minnesota. The yards weren't very high. The touchdowns, a goose egg, and two right. turnovers. <clears throat> I know Nebraska's been, at least in the past decade or so, been kind of historically bad at, at winning the turnover margin. And I know you turn the ball over a couple of times at Rutgers. I think if you do that in this game, that's a death sentence. Absolutely. And especially because you cannot, and I know we talk about Ross aid and when they're bad and when I say they're Purdue, you know, you can hear a pin drop in that place, but that's not going to be the case on Saturday. And momentum can flip like that. And we've seen that in years past too. So I think protecting the ball is going to be hard or is going to be an emphasis rather. And making Aiden O'Connell make tough decisions in the heat of the moment and make him screw up because he's a quarterback that if he can pick apart your defense, well, good luck. This game reminds me a bit of last year's game at Michigan State. Just the the midseason, uh, it's a road game. 
You've got a fairly veteran team. You're going to have an excited crowd. Uh, all of the, the trappings for what should tilt heavily in favor of the home team. But Nebraska went to Michigan State last year and flat out outplayed the Spartans and should have won the game had it not been for the wayward punt. Um, and I just kind of get that feeling with this one as well. A 14, almost a 14-point dog on the road, the sellout, all of those kinds of things. And I really think Nebraska is an enigma right now. I'm not sure Jeff Brom or most anybody else in the Big Ten knows what to make of the Big Red. I, I think that I think with Mickey, it's just kind of like Trev threw a wild card in the Big Ten West race when he made the move on September 11th. And the way Mickey has been brash and precocious and honest. And I think people around the league are sensing there's something different about Nebraska and they may not really be able to put their finger on it. And that's what I think makes Nebraska dangerous going into this game at Purdue. Last year, Michigan State probably more predictable because they knew Scott. But I just think that Purdue's going, I, I don't know what to expect right now. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because you look back on the first three weeks of the season and how you kind of thought Nebraska was going to have to win games. High scoring, and they were just going to have to basically score more points than their defense could possibly allow, right? And that's kind of shifted, I think, because you, you've had back-to-back games here. And, and look, you know, Indiana's defense is not great by any means their offense is not great by any means but that Rutgers game I think is an example of how Nebraska has to play this week against Purdue and how they're probably going to have to play the rest of the season where look the offense might not score 20 points might not score 28 points but they're just going to have to find a way to grind out a win week by week which is just a total shift from where the season began and really the last four years this is not a team that was really ever seen as a grind team. And I think now that is probably their clearest path to winning football games and certainly winning football games in this division. I think if they make it ugly, they can win. Yes. And I think that's what they did last week. <laughs> yeah. They, they made it ugly. And we talked to one of our professors, Matt Waite, who's in the building, and he was like, this is going to be a terrible game. This is going to be a rock fight. It's going to be – The Rutgers game. Yeah, yeah, the Rutgers game. And it was exactly that. And the fact that Nebraska was able to come back down 13 nothing at halftime, and we talked about this on Sunday, Grant, but the deficit could have been way worse. Even in that first quarter, it could have been 17 nothing. The defense was able to get stops that they needed. And now all of a sudden, and I kind of went on, on Twitter this week about this as well, but you mentioned Mickey Joseph, and who, who knows what to expect from him, especially down the stretch here in this Big Ten West race, if you want to call it that. <laughs> I mean – what the the energy and the swagger that he brings to the table is, I think, a, an enormous shift from what Scott Frost had because that was one of my biggest issues with Frost at the tenure and and, and at, the, and at the, the head of the head of the program. He just didn't look, you know, involved on the sideline very much. And it, for me, I think that you know if you're going to be a player coach. You kind of got to act like the players in in some sort of capacity on that side. Like, get excited, encourage your guys, and I think Mickey does a phenomenal job of that. Not only during the game, but pregame, halftime, postgame, and I think that means a lot to to his guys. I think it kind of plays into the Nick Henrich thing, the never out of the fight, you know. And I think that could carry this team a long way. Will it carry them to a Big Ten West Division championship? Who knows? Probably not, but who knows. 
And the fact that they are still in that conversation, I think says a lot about what Mickey has done. And I think it says a lot about how the players feel about Mickey and, and what they're able to do in response to the firing and everything that they've been through. And now all of a sudden, Mickey Joseph has a chance to be 3-0 and in the Big Ten this weekend. Don't you get the sense that players have a belief in Mickey and now have a belief in themselves mm-hmm. more so than than before? And, and you know, the Hartsog kid, Malcolm Hartsog, is the one that is kind of standing out to me right now. Mickey always talks about next man up, next man up, next man up, next man up, next man. And you get the sense that those guys are starting to believe, like, I might get to be up. And I'm gonna be ready. And if I'm and and if you're not believing that, then you're not gonna get an opportunity. And when he's turned his attention towards somebody and say, "All right, you're up," guys believe that they're going to get that chance and that they have to be ready. And it's not just lip service. And I think Hartzog a little bit, and maybe because there's been attention given to him, given the the punt return, the block punt return for the touchdown the other day, and then the interception against Rutgers. But there's just kind of a sense that. He personifies what's going on right now. Underdog, undersized. Mickey was kind of undersized, you know, back in his playing days. But you're up. Go get it done. Or when he said to Casey Thompson, you know, when his when his shoulder was hurt. Okay, which one do you throw with? My right. Okay, well then get get back up and get yeah, in there. Yeah, that you was know? good. You know, and I'm not sure Mickey's quite that harsh. I think it's kind of a brash comment, but there is kind of that, you know, man up, get up, and get back in there and see what you can do and. And I think guys are just all of a sudden believing that they are going to get a legitimate opportunity to do what they can do and not necessarily be restrained. And and I think we're seeing that maybe with, you know, O'Shawn Mathis and Garrett Nelson a little bit, the way that they've kind of been unleashed in the last two games to pressure the quarterback and just, just simplify. Bill Bush has done a great job with second-half adjustments. Just go get the guy with the ball. Pretty simple defensively. And I think we've seen much more of that mentality in, I know it's Indiana and I know it's Rutgers, but if you see the spirit and you see the execution of just going out and playing and tackle the guy with the ball and you have the freedom to go do that, I, I think we're seeing you know just a different mindset with this team that, again, other teams in the West are starting to go, eh, they're playing a little differently. It's a little different spirit at Nebraska than we saw the last few years. And I think, by the way, the counter to that, this idea that well it's just Indiana it's just Rutgers I look like I think if there's anything that people around this program and within this program have discovered in the last two years is that no win is a guarantee mm-hmm. you know it, Frost record against Minnesota uh bad Illinois bad uh Rutgers they beat once uh last in in December of 2020 and and so and I think here's another thing, right? Like while we're on this topic of kind of contrasting the two, and you know, when Frost came here, he was very much viewed as a player's coach and was talked about as a player's coach within his early time here, not so much towards the end. And Mickey Joseph is also definitely a player's coach. But here's the difference. Both of them are very loyal to their guys. The thing was, is that Frost was loyal to a fault, and Mickey is loyal to his guys to be sure, but he's loyal to winning first. And he's loyal to production first. And so there's not going to be any of these situations where you have a player that's in the game and has a much longer leash than they deserve because you like them as a person and you recruited them. right? I feel like there's a good amount of that going on at different times. And then you get into, you know, not to look back too much here, but like the 2019-2020 seasons 
where you had that loyalty, but then all of a sudden you just walked it back when you threw in Luke McCaffrey instead of Adrian Martinez for a few games because you caved to the pressure from the outside. Like, there's not going to be any of that. You don't have to worry about that. And I think that's a pretty big difference worth worth noting. And it's part of why they have that confidence within themselves uh, and, and you have that, like, loyalty back right like there's loyalty back to a guy that's going to push you and not spew any crap you know I, like I think that is really valuable well as a player if my coach is loyal to winning I'm, I'm going to want to be loyal to that guy right <laughs> and especially when you haven't done it very very much in the past decade or so in this program and I, I agree I think what you brought up about Indiana and Rutgers yeah it's Indiana and Rutgers but you haven't won back-to-back Big Ten games in four years <laughs> yeah. and you did it it, I don't think it matters at this point who it is. I mean, it could be Ohio State, Michigan State for all I care. It's Indiana and Rutgers for all I care. It, it, they're Big Ten opponents, and they beat two of them back-to-back, and now they have a chance to make it three in a row, which we classified as a streak, right? Right, it, that would, would be, be three in a row. Three in a row. My question, and I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts about this on, on Saturday, that Nebraska didn't run the ball very well against Rutgers, and Anthony Grant didn't have his his best day. Your kind of benchmark rushing yards. Now it doesn't have to just be Anthony Grant; could be the the unit as a whole. How many rushing yards does Nebraska need in order to win this game? I want to go old school. I mean, I just long for those days of. 350, 450 oh. yards rushing with 65 carries and 14 football. pass attempts. And and you just, you know, got done with the game. And somewhere. that was really boring. And you see the final score was like 56 to 7. And there's just bodies all over the field <laughs> on the other, you know, and everybody not wearing red and or scarlet and cream. I know, I know, I know that I go way back. But I think Nebraska has to be a team that, you know, needs to have 200 yards a game on the ground. I just think that has to be a consistent, you know, goal every week. And if you get 250, that's a bonus. And that's a lot, you know, for what this offense does. And you've got a quarterback and some really good receivers. But if you can get, you know, that 200-yard mark and you've got some really good balance and, you know, Casey's flirting with 300 yards through the air, I mean, that's 500 yards of total offense. That's asking an awful lot. But I would think that it would be doable with the players that we've seen not on the offensive line. That's the whole key for everything for Nebraska. And maybe the some of the rotation with Anthony getting more snaps and Ben Hart fewer snaps and uh, getting a little healthy. And, and maybe, you know, maybe this belief is starting to permeate from the skill position players to the offensive line, too, um, that they'll will see a better effort the second half of the season. But I, I really think Nebraska – what they averaged two yards, two and a half yards per carry the last couple of games, not very many. Um, but Grant's got to be up in that 75 to 110 yards per game for them because he's just that good. And 75 seems low. Yeah, you wonder about him wearing down. Like, that's one thing you got to definitely worry about as time goes on. I, my question is, how do you fix that offensive line? And you know, what swaps can you even make at this point? There's a lot of outside noise this week about moving Brock, Brock Bando to left tackle and then kicking Corcoran into guard on the left side. Maybe that does something. I, I, I don't know. Like, that, like It's a really, really difficult place to be in. And I think there was also a lot of exterior talk this week about, well, these guys are a bunch of run blockers. And, and Mickey even, I think, said as much this weekend on Tuesday. Uh, but where do you go from there? And 
how do you get them to pass protect? Because you need to pass protect at, at some point. And they didn't do a very good job of run blocking either <laughs> on on Friday. So, like, that, that's my question for you. Like, how do you even personnel-wise, like, can you mix and match and find a combination that works here? Is that something that you can do? Or do you just have to find a way in your play calling to disguise all the deficiencies there up front? That might be the, the remedy is you've got to disguise some things and just say, look, we have got to simplify things. Uh, on the offensive line, we've got to get a good rotation. Maybe you're going to be asked to play a couple of different spots and do some rotation so that guys are fresher as opposed to, you know, five guys getting 90% of the snaps in the game. And you just you have to go next man up. Okay, who's the backup left guard? Who's the backup center? Who's the backup here? Who can play a couple of different positions? And you keep it simple so that you're not got, having guys – running into each other, uh, but they've got to be fresh in that second half because you, you you can't get Casey hit like he was hit uh, against Rutgers. And I, I, I tend to think Rutgers has a little jersey in them, uh, you know, not just that they're from New Jersey, but I think that they certainly take it to the limit in terms of the rule book. I, I, I just think that they play an extra physical, extra physical kind of, of football that was case in point what, at, the, at the end of the game when you know, Shiano was blitzing linebackers and Nebraska's in the victory formation. I, I just think that's the mentality there. But Nebraska has to get something out of that offensive line the last four or five games of the regular season, regular season, to get to a bowl game to where guys believe they can get it done, they're going to get a break, they're going to get an opportunity, and if it's simplified – Maybe that's the the way you disguise it a little bit because it's not a dominant line doing one or the other, pass blocking or run blocking. Well, we heard Mickey say 2019, different group of five basically every single week out there yeah. with LSU. Yeah. And I found that really interesting because yep. a team that was that good, now granted, very deep as well in, in the roster department, but a team that was that good could roll out a new group of five every week and still find a way to make it work was really interesting to me. I'm wondering, and now I don't think Mickey will go to that extreme when it comes to, you know, changing the offensive lineup that much, but, you know, how much is he going to tamper with that? Because, yeah, Casey was under duress a lot against Rutgers, and on paper, it doesn't look like it because he only had one sack, but, you know, the hurries and everything. Are, I mean, he took a hit. He took a hit yeah. towards the end of the first half. I didn't think he was going to get up I, Me neither. I thought, oh, oh, there it is. Like, that's the that's the straw that broke the camel's back right there that he's going to be hurt seriously. I mean, Nebraska's lucky that he can move, and he can move pretty well. I mean, he had four sacks against Oklahoma. We all know how that game ended. Uh, he was sacked twice against Georgia Southern. He was sacked three times against North Dakota. He was sacked three times against Indiana. And I, that's going to be a point of emphasis for Purdue. Get, get to the quarterbacks, kind of like what you said about Bill Bush and, and our defense. Hey, see ball, get ball, right? And, yeah. And they know that this offensive line for Nebraska is a, a weakness, for, for lack of a better term. So I'm interested to see how much blitzing and – you know, how much jersey does Purdue have in them, right? Because they're going to be at home, and we've talked about the sellout earlier in the show as well. How much are they going to try and go after Casey this week? Now, last week against Rutgers, Casey was 24-36 for 232, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, he had a QBR of 55.4. What do you guys, and, and I'll, I'll flip this over to the passing side, what do you need to see from Casey? Not necessarily a yard mark, but just overall play. What do you need to see from him in order for Nebraska to get a win on Saturday? I think those completion numbers 
uh, have, have got to be the goal every week. What was that, about 66% of his passes? Yes. I think that's what it has to be. And it, and it doesn't have to be the long bomb, you know, looking for Palmer all the time or, or Washington, who I think is pretty good but has been overshadowed by Trey Palmer's brilliant play. I mean, there's, he's one of the top five receivers in the country this season, if you ask me, yeah. Trey Palmer. Uh, and if Vokalek can just stay healthy – you know what a weapon he is at tight end. Nebraska wins the Northwestern game if Vokalik can play the second half. Uh, but I don't think Casey needs to air it out to be a great quarterback. He just needs to be an efficient quarterback, especially on third downs, on third and eight. Don't throw the thir- uh, you know the six yard out. <laughs> don't be Matt Schaub uh, and Gary Kubiak, but go get first downs on on third down with good. You know, solid, uh, efficient, and smart passing. Don't force it in. You, you can't have turnovers, especially on the road. I think you mentioned that earlier. Uh, if Nebraska, you know, has a start like it did against Rutgers defensively, giving up a touchdown like they did, and then has a turnover or two, game could be over early. But if Nebraska can maintain some drives with efficient eight to twelve yard pass plays, in Casey's sixty percent, sixty six percent. Uh, through the air and ends up at 250, close to 300. You know, Nebraska gives themselves a great chance to win. And he's, he's used a variety of receivers, too. I mean, I think he's averaging about seven, eight guys catching passes, you know, in a game. Alante Brown catches a couple here and there. Vokalek, uh, uh, Washington Palmer, Brody Belt probably catches a couple of passes. You know, he's used, he's used, you know, the guys who have been in the game. He doesn't just lock in on Palmer all the time. Right. Which I think is, you know, really says a lot about, you know, his ability to see downfield and find out who's open. I think for me, what I'm looking for, I, I just need to see him take care of the football. And I don't think you can really put the interceptions against Rutgers on him. Like, he was just absolutely clobbered on both of those. Uh, so that's not, like, really his fault. But taking care of the football, big and then just making the clutch play down the stretch because he's done that in back-to-back weeks now. He had Trey Palmer with the 71-yard go-ahead touchdown against uh, Indiana and then another touchdown this week right after the turnover against Rutgers. So that to me is the biggest thing, right? Because I, I, I think in my mind at this point, Nebraska wins football games by sticking around to the fourth quarter, making it ugly, whether you're ahead or not at that point in time, just make the one or two clutch plays that you need to do to win the football game. And that's... I think that's how their path to success for the rest of the year is that. Aren't you intrigued by this move by moving Tommy Hill from defense yes. to the receiver position? Mm-hmm. And as much attention as there's been given on it the last you know couple of days, I just— Do you think I there's fire that, with that or not? I, I do. I think that there's something to that, that he's not just going over there, well, we need a body. Uh, there, there's got to be something that he was that, good in high school. Right, that's what that, everybody's that, saying. That Mickey has noticed, and, and maybe when Mickey got here in the summer and said, "I want that guy on my side," you know, Travis Fisher. I want that guy, and th- th- there's got to be something to to it, and to make that move now. And maybe it's because yeah. the other guys in the in the secondary have developed and, and can get some playing time. Hill's obviously a great athlete, but I'm intrigued by that. This will be interesting because. I think one thing we've seen in the last, again, five years, guys get talked up in press conferences, and then we never see them. Like, I'm trying to remember, the biggest one to me is 2020 Elante Brown. Like, Elante Brown got a lot of preseason camp coverage and then never saw the field. So that's 
I'm going to be hesitant on this because, again, like you hear a lot of talk in press conferences, a lot of press to- or press conference smoke, then it doesn't come to fruition. I don't know if that's going to be the same here. I think this is our first real instance of that under Mickey Joseph where we've had a lot of talk about a guy. And we're gonna to have to find out what happens. I'm I'm gonna be more I'm more cautious. I think, just because I'm a, I'm a I just have been burned too many times in years past by guys being made to be more than they were. Jeff Brom is saying the same thing too, though. What, what, what oh is, really? What is it with this guy? Why why are they moving this guy? You know, it's just another thing that Big Ten West coaches or the Big Ten coaches have to think about. Like, you know, what are they doing over there? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. What What is the uh... The madness behind his his method right now, mm-hmm. right? Um, I want to go back to what you said, Grant, because it's kind of funny how over a calendar year we're talking about clutch plays made by a quarterback right. down the stretch, and how big that has been for Nebraska this season already. And and they head into Purdue with that three and three record, partially because of those those clutch plays down the stretch. I don't. I didn't know if I wanted to ask this question before we got recording here, but I, I think I'm going to anyway. Halfway point in the season, pre Rutgers reaction to this: Does Nebraska make a bowl game? Do they kick down the door? That's a good question. So it's hard because you think realistically, Nebraska has a chance. Like Nebraska should be in five of these last six games. Like I, I don't think they have a shot at Michigan. <laughs> like, but but then I again, agree. then again, Indiana did give Michigan a real fight this weekend. I but, don't think Michigan is good as five, but they're definitely a top ten team. And there is question too, right? Like, does Michigan actually over like because they totally overlooked Indiana? Do they do that again this season? I don't know, especially maybe not in November. But I think Illinois, like, it's hard to figure out who they are are they the team that absolutely decimated wisconsin or are they the team that lost to indiana to begin the year uh i i don't know i think you got to ask me after purdue because if they get absolutely well, that would boat, just be too they, easy if they get boat race this weekend there's it's gonna be hard that's why i asked you before and, and this purdue like <laughs> the purdue and the illinois game like i think they have a really good shot at winning wisconsin and iowa so there's, I mean, th- these next three games go a long way to determining, I think, if they can actually get there. I, I have to say no, but maybe. I think <laughs> I don't know what else, where else to go. Thank you. <laughs> I think Nebraska wins out. Holiday Bowl. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's even a question. Nine and three. Big Ten champs. Here we go. <sighs> yeah, ten and three. Then it, it is. It is an intriguing question. Um, it, and I think that it's a question that has a more positive outlook certainly now than back in mid-September. And, you know, nobody's really talking about what happened with Nebraska and Oklahoma. You know, nobody refers back to that game it's at all anymore. It's swept under the rug. It has been. It was kind of like, well, that was Mickey's first game. We get it. No big deal. Don't worry about it. How are they going to play against the teams that they should beat or they should be competitive with? And they beat Indiana. Mm-hmm. And they go on the road, and they come back to win in the second half against Rutgers. And now nobody talks about what happened against Oklahoma, who has turned out to have a, 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 a the same dismal, record now, <laughs> a dismal season, and a and, worse conference record. And, yeah, and uh, and now you've got uh, Illinois, Minnesota at home, Wisconsin at home, and Iowa, who can't score points unless their defense is on the field. You know, <laughs> so I, again, I just think 
I just think Nebraska has become this enigma to all these other teams. Like, we just don't know what to expect. Post-Oklahoma, uh, I think Grant and I were in agreement with this. We didn't know if Nebraska would win another game this, yeah. this year. Now, obviously, that was wrong. And with six games left, now, obviously, again, a lot depends on what happens at Purdue this weekend. If they win, obviously, their chances go, in my opinion, significantly up. But that stretch of Illinois and Minnesota at home is, I think it's crucial that you have those at home. Mm-hmm. And you get a buy in there, too, between Purdue and, and Illinois there. And, oh, by the way, Illinois and Minnesota are playing each other this weekend, so that's a game to look out for if you're a Husker yeah. fan as well. Michigan is out of the question. Wisconsin, yes, they played a really bad Northwestern team, but, man, they killed a really bad Northwestern team this week. Through the air, may I add. Yeah, Through that the was air, wild. Which was really odd to see. So I'm going to be looking at Wisconsin through the rest of this year and kind of see what kind of – if they can form a new identity. And I, I think this is the – this is the most confident I've ever felt about Nebraska Iowa in, in favor oh, really? in favor of Nebraska this year. <laughs> I mean, this is Iowa's bad. Iowa's just a bad yeah. football team. Yeah, that I, Brian Ferentz press conference this week was not <laughs> just, like I thought it was a parody. It felt like it. They're you know? just, they're just oh, we're doing fine. Bad. Every yeah, it's literally the dog Spencer sitting Peaches in the is burning. Our guy. Yeah. It's it's literally like that press conference was just the personification of the dog meme where he's sitting in a house that's on fire and he's just saying it's everything's fine like <laughs> that was what that was oh, man. What, what was the the question about the quarterback what's the what's the downside to putting in the backup and his response was what's the upside <laughs> now if you're, if you're the backup quarterback you're going um excuse ooh, me what yeah. yeah there is a transfer portal I mean, <laughs> there is i mean geez i'm gonna go play on the other side of the river where you know the guy's gonna coach me up I, that was just a really I, again i thought it was a parody by the way that the other weird thing with iowa keegan johnson barely playing like that that to me is also really weird you know a guy from bell west a guy with you know obviously son of cluster johnson that that might be like there's a lot of hopeful Husker fans, I think, who are thinking, man, you get that right coach. You have Mickey Joseph. Maybe you can get him over the other side of the river next season. Maybe not. It's a long trip. Cluster, I don't know. It's a long four hours. <laughs> yeah. The other question is Cluster, and that's for another day. Yeah, I don't I don't know. if even if Nebraska loses now again if they get boat raced this weekend yeah it's a different story right but you're 100% at least in the Iowa game i think you're yep i think you're in the Illinois game i don't know if you win Illinois but you're in it they're so physical that yeah. that was one of the things that Connor Connor and i had talked about is just Illinois is so physical and that's how they've mm-hmm. beaten this team and Nebraska has not been able to match that in yeah. years past they just well, Bielema knows how to coach in the yeah, Big Ten. I mean, he that, does. It, it, it's it it's amazing to me how his Illinois team, even last year, started to resemble his early Wisconsin teams when he was the mm-hmm. young guy who took over for Barry Alvarez and understood how to coach in the Big Ten and did so pretty quickly. And that team's taken on his personality. He certainly understands how important it is to have a rugged offensive line and to play with a certain mentality that, you know, I don't think goes over the line. They just play physical Big Ten football. And that's exactly what his early Wisconsin teams looked like when he was, 
taking over for Barry, maintaining what had been done, and really creating and, and uh, solidifying the Wisconsin identity. It was born under Alvarez, but solidified under Bielema. And he could not make that translation to the University of Arkansas. It's just a different style of football down there uh, as opposed to the Big Ten. And he goes to Illinois, and it's like he never left. Yep. You know, never left the Big Ten. We'll just do what I did at Illinois. I went to the Giants in Arkansas for a little while, and now I'm back. And we and it is, you know, for, Brett Bielema, to me, personifies what Big Ten coaches are supposed to be like. It just There's just something about him. Has, has he won big? Not necessarily. He's had some great teams. But he just kind of gets the way the, you're supposed to coach in this league. It seems like that people in Illinois, too, are, are finally starting to rally around that program because it's been tough for, like, coming from Illinois. I Illinois football hasn't been good in years, and this is the first time that I, I can remember seeing them in the top 25. So he's doing a great job with the Fighting Illini this year. So that's that's why that's such a tough game. And again, it, it all depends on what happens on Saturday at 6.30 in West Lafayette. So we'll, we'll see. Right now, right now, I'll say yes. I think Nebraska finishes maybe 6-6, six and six, and that's the best. Maybe. And that's the best. But, uh, yeah, maybe is the key word of this episode. But let's move on to our picks for this week because this slate of college football is – ridiculous and for the second straight week grant has beaten me in the slate of three games i am one in five in my last two weeks it's been rough rough go and i'm not that much better by the way i mean we're we're both 12 and 9 on the year so we started out really well well speaking from the staff perspective at the uh, college of journalism we appreciate that you guys have been spending much more time on your studies (laughs) yes than uh trying to you know pick the spread very uh, true over under so good oh yeah on you guys hey well we're just trying to have a little fun. <laughs> just a little fun. Well, Grant, Grant, you beat me this week, so you, you go first. Okay. Uh, my first pick, Oklahoma State and TCU, Big 12 showdown. I've been back and forth on this one for a while just because, okay, Oklahoma State's good, but they struggled last week. They got off to a slow start, and you know Sanders at quarterback is kind of hot and cold, I think, sometimes. Like, he's got good numbers. But I just I don't I never feel confident in him. He's not a game manager. Like he's not that low tier of a quarterback, but he's certainly not like I feel like an exceptional tier. So he's in this weird middle spot, and that's kind of where I feel like Oklahoma State almost always is. On the flip side, you got Max Duggan for TCU, a guy who could at some point make a case for Heisman. He's dropping dimes. Uh, he is he is really good. He is really good. And he definitely is in that exceptional tier. TCU, four-point favorite at home against Oklahoma State. <sighs> Moment of truth here. I think TCU wins and covers. This is the kind of Oklahoma Whoa. This is the kind of Oklahoma State game that the Cowboys have lost in recent years. They have this mid-October, November loss to a team that they're better than. And that's how they're always eleven and one conference champs on the outside looking in on the college football playoff. That's kind of my read on the situation. I think TCU wins. We'll give them a, a 27-20 victory. Or actually, no, this is Big 12. So yeah, let's we, give them an extra 10 here? points. 47 What are we 40? doing here? We'll go with 37. <laughs> We're 37 to 30. Bill, TCU. Go ahead. 
You know, it, it seems like every Oklahoma State team for the past 10 years is the exact same team that follows the same script. They get themselves into the top 15, then into the top 10, and they flirt with the Big Ten championship, and they end up winning 10 games and in the Alamo Bowl. Every, the script is the same, it, it seems like, every season for Oklahoma State, and I think that's where they're destined uh, as well. I think you're right. I, I think they, they remind me of those Nebraska teams every year when we would play Missouri in October, and you're in just for a, a black and blue, you know, gray October day, perfect football scenario type game, and the game ends up 16-13, and, and you lose. Now, Nebraska didn't lose very often, but I think <laughs> Oklahoma State is is kind of that team that's that's ready for its midseason fall, and then they'll end up winning five more, and they'll flirt with a Big 12 championship game. TCU under uh, uh, under Sonny Dykes is I'm really impressed that he's been able to make the transition from across town from SMU to TCU and to get everybody on page as quickly as he has. Maybe it's because he's familiar with all of them. I'm sure he recruited a lot of those players, tried to get him to go to the Mustangs. But they're playing really good. And the way they they withstood Kansas last week, and I don't think Kansas is top 10, but the atmosphere, the excitement, and it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show. When you're in an, an atmosphere where it's exciting and people are against you, you rally together. And they've got a mature quarterback. They've got great skill position players. Uh, I, I like TCU a lot, and I think their defense is good. I think it'll be high scoring as well, but I think TCU can win that kind of game, and I, and I do think that they'll win and cover at home. Yeah, I agree. But it's I, only because it's at home. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Oklahoma State is, again, you mentioned they have that same script every single year. They're about two inches short of, of changing that script a season ago. They were, yeah, literally. Like, yeah. Literally two yeah. inches short. Um, but, yeah, they, they started slow last week, Oklahoma State did, and, and Duggan was – I mean, near perfection against Kansas last week. And Kansas, again, is not top 10 to your point, but is a really, really good football team this year. Definitely, I, I think we saw that this week. I, I wasn't sure if they would keep up with TCU, but they, they made it a really, really good ball game. So I don't, I don't mind that TCU pick uh, this week. I'm going to head over to the Big Ten, Oh, and I'm going to do Illinois-Minnesota. Minnesota is a six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road against the 24th-ranked Illini. The Illini are 2-1 in the Big Ten. Minnesota is 1-1 in the Big Ten. Illinois is 5-1 overall. Minnesota is 4-1 overall. Take a guess, if you haven't seen it already, what the over-under is on this game. 25. <laughs> I mean, it's 39. Okay. It's <laughs> it's below 40, which is concerning. Yeah. And I Mo get Ibrahim, it. Just, by the way, Mo Ibrahim back, yes, I believe. Yes, he's back. And I, I understand that they just beat Iowa nine to six. I feel like that's just going to be every <laughs> Iowa game ever. But I, I, man, that's low. You mentioned Ibrahim is back, and that's exactly why I'm going to pick Minnesota to win this game. I don't know if they cover though. I th- I think I'm going to go Illinois to cover, or yeah, Illinois to cover the six and a half. So uh, added note on that Iowa Illinois game last week. Here's a sequence: uh, Iowa punts from their own sixteen. Recovers a muff at the Illinois 35. They go three plays, negative six yards, and punt. Then they force a fumble and recover it at the five. They go four plays, negative four yards, and kick a field goal. So in sum, 15 plays, negative 10 yards, and 76 (laughs) punt yard field goal drive. Are you sure you just didn't read off the the Bears offensive sequence? Because it's about the same thing. But 
I'm going to go Minnesota wins, Illinois covers in Champaign. And that sets up Nebraska quite nicely, too, if, if that yeah. plays out, uh, if Minnesota can get a win. That game is at 11 a.m. of BTN, by the way. So keep your eye on that, and you'll have plenty of time in between that game and the Nebraska game to to no results. So Grant, your second game of the week. Yeah, I was surprised you didn't pick the uh, big Michigan kickoff uh, game over on Fox. Because <laughs> Michigan is Michigan, and I don't like them. All right. Uh, <laughs> NC why. State. NC State in Syracuse at, uh, didn't it used to be the Carrier Dome? Uh, yes. And now it's the JMA Wireless Dome, which seems like, it feels like Rutgers changing the name of the rack. Uh, oh. Syracuse, NC State. Orange are number 18. Uh, Wolfpack, number 15, you know I have felt that NC State is just brutally overrated all year long. I don't understand why they were in the top 10. They were in the top 10 after that Texas Tech win, uh, which was not pretty. And you had Kansas, who was outside the top 25 that weekend. Uh, Again, even at number 15, I don't feel like they're in a good position. Now, Syracuse is a relative unknown. They, they beat Purdue, and that's important. But they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite here at home. I think they the Orange cover, and I think they win. So two favorites for me to start. We'll give, give uh, Syracuse a 28-17 uh, victory. The Cuse, 6-0. and 6-0. Mm. Oh. Oh. What is this, basketball? Syracuse and Kansas. Yeah, well. Well, Kansas. 5-1. and one. Kansas is 5-1 and one and will probably lose to Oklahoma this week because right, no quarterback. Will. Yeah, but – the Cuse getting it done at what is the, what is it the JMA Wireless? Do- no, it's yeah, the carrier, it's the carrier. It's, okay, fine. it's always the carrier. It's it, it'll always you, be the prime carrier example. Dome. The rack. It's always the rack. Yep. I'm going to this. The SEC Alabama travels to Tennessee, three versus six, undefeated top ten matchup in arguably the best conference. Not arguably the best conference in college football. Alabama is a seven point favorite on the road. At Neyland Stadium, and I think Tennessee wins. I think I think the Volunteers get it done. I think it's close. I'm very high on Tennessee this year. I've watched a, a decent amount of their games, and I really like what I see. Alabama struggles without Bryce Young, and I think Tennessee takes advantage of, of that disadvantage of Alabama, and I think they win at home. I like college football when Tennessee is relevant to college football. It's just like Nebraska. Some of those, some programs just have to be good, and you want them to be good because college football is better when they're better. And so I, I'm happy to see Tennessee has kind of figured it out after about 20 years of wandering in the wilderness with Nebraska, and I think we're headed back in that same direction. They've got a fun offense. Josh Heupel's done a great job of of uh, implementing a, an offense that's averaging about what 550 yards per game, something like that, uh, over 300 yards through the air with Hendon Hooker. They're at home. The place is going to be electric. The atmosphere, fantastic. And I think Alabama goes in there and wins by two touchdowns because I don't think Tennessee has has prepared to play. I think they're prepared to play exciting football. I'm not sure they're ready to play that kind of football just yet. They're back, but they're not back in that way. And so they're, I, they're Texas back. Yeah, I think that they're good. I think the program's headed in the right direction, but then you just got to elevate to where you can go win that slugfest because you're one of the elites. I think they're on their way. I just think Alabama knows how to win games like that in environments like that. I think Bryce Young will be back. And if he is, then I like, I like Alabama to win it because I just think their speed defensively, 
Alabama is just so fast. It's amazing how fast they are, and I think that's really going to be the big difference. Yeah, the linchpin to me is young. Is young player or not? Uh, yeah. That that will be does, the determining if, factor. If he doesn't, it's a completely different yeah yeah script. It Tennessee, have, by the way, five forty-seven yards, five hundred forty-seven yards per game. Yeah, three forty through the air. That's that's all right. I think you know I could be a fool for betting against Saban. I could be. I probably am, um, just historically, but. I'm going to stick with Tennessee. Yeah, Bryce Young is is definitely the kind of the the deciding factor there. But that'll be a, a fantastic game, two thirty on CBS for that one. Let's jump to Nebraska Purdue. Our final pick of the episode, Grant. Who do you got? Okay, before I do this, I want to make a slight diversion. Uh, number, I just noticed this while we were sitting talking. But diversion. number twenty five this week, James Madison from the Sun Belt, five and zero. Fun belt. A uh, pretty new FBS team, like within the last like five or six years, I think. Not, e- I think like two. Yeah, I think this is their second or third mm-hmm. year in the FBS. Yeah, so there you go. Congrats to the Dukes. All right, Nebraska, thirteen and a half point dogs. I have felt like this line has felt has been aggressive, really all week long. I thought it was going to come down. Like we were talking on Sunday when we taped the reaction podcast, thinking, all right, so many Nebraska fans are going to be hammering the points that this will come down to like a touchdown, eight points, under 10 at least, right? Instead, it's gone up. Like I think when we talked, it was like 11 points, uh, yes. and now it's close to 14. So, I look, I don't think Nebraska is going to win this game. I can't pick them to win this game just because of history, but I think they are going to cover. And I just – like Purdue all year has not been able to put a team away. Like their their biggest win of the whole season is against Indiana State. Which they beat fifty six to nothing, but you look at Syracuse like you're down. That was a slow start, and you end up having to score twenty one points in the fourth quarter to take the lead, and then you give let them just walk right down the field and score because you gave up a couple of like on that touchdown, the go ahead touchdown for Purdue. There were two fifteen yard uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, so Purdue had to kick off from like their zero because of oh, that. Oh yeah, that was weird. And so that set up Syracuse with a short field. They went right down and scored. So, like, they have done a number of – there have been a number of situations. They've had over 100 yards in penalties twice this year. So, like, they they can't put teams away. And I think, you know, the shorthandedness on both sides is a wash. I'm not going to say Nebraska wins, but I think Purdue struggles to cover that line and, and to win by two touchdowns, like – there would have to be a lot of things that don't go Nebraska's way early, like the Rutgers game, and they just wouldn't recover from that. And it's just not how this team, I don't think, is at this point in the year. So I think Purdue wins it by a touchdown, 31-24. Mm-hmm. Well, you gentlemen know that I view the Huskers in uh, games through big red scarlet and cream colored glasses. Yes. Right. <laughs> and we began this show objectively, I'm going to say. We began this show by talking about the number of sports that I have probably called in my career, which I think numbers around 35. Mm-hmm. So a Nebraska guy has called 35 sports in his career. I think I've called zero Purdue sports in my career. <laughs> so with that, I don't see any reason why this can't be Nebraska 35, Purdue nothing. <laughs> Objectively speaking, with all my credibility <laughs> on the line. I think Nebraska is, a, is again, I go back to, I just think they're an enigma. I, I think that teams are going, okay, how do we approach this? They've got a new spirit there. 
the defense is simplified. They're playing hard. They make great second-half adjustments, which we haven't seen for years. Yep. Uh, Casey Thompson's got good weapons to, to throw to. They've got a dynamic running back, and maybe they do some things on the offensive line to move guys around. And if Nebraska can get into a ball-control-type offense, you know, the first four or five games of the year, they were averaging like two minutes and seven seconds or something like that per drive. That's just putting that defense back out there on the field again. Okay, we scored big. We scored quick. Great. Okay, the defense is back out there. And then the defense is back out there. And then it's back out there again and again and again and again. And I think if Nebraska can control the clock a little bit more and go on some three-plus, four-minute drives, give the defense a bit of a break, and take Aiden O'Connell and Purdue out of its rhythm offensively. I think that's part of it, too, is give your defense a break. I think we saw that with Indiana a little bit. They some of those drives by you know Nebraska and then putting points on the board and the way they played with that spirit, I, I I don't think Indiana ever got into a rhythm at all. But they punted like seven times. Yeah, it was odd. Yeah, so I think if you can do that, keep play some keep away, sustain some drives, get some points, field goal every now and then. We're more confident in special teams than we have been in years. Yep. So you know if Nebraska gets some plays, get some points, you know, I, I think they make a game of it. And I am never going to take them, pick them to lose. So, Nebraska, twenty-one twenty. There you go. I like that. Or mm. thirty-five nothing. Take your pick. I got to pick them <laughs> for you. Pick them. Thirty-five nothing. Twenty-one twenty. I'll go with a thirty-five nothing one. I, I'd like to see that one a little bit more. And I think that's a little more re- well reasoned too. Yeah, I I think the the scarlet and cream lenses are really coming in handy there <laughs> <laughs> on that pick. A fun fact before I go into my pick: interim head coaches last week were four and zero. Mm. in college football, That's which really I, found, fascinating. I found interesting. I can't believe there's four of them. I know. It never used to happen. Four, no, and two of them are, are in the Big Ten West, Wisconsin and Nebraska. 13.5-point spread, Nebraska, tough game on the road against Purdue. I think they can win. I don't think I will pick them to win. I think Purdue wins by a field goal. I think Nebraska covers that 13.5-point spread. I agree with most of what Grant said about how Purdue can't really close a team out, or they haven't been able to, to do that, other than Indiana State, of course. And as, as you mentioned, how do they approach Mickey Joseph and this team now? It's a complete 180 than it was literally 30 days ago. So I think Nebraska makes it really, really close. For the sake of my pick, I'm going to say they come up a play short and lose by three. Can Nebraska win this game? Yes. And I, it's just kind of up in the air for me right now. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But for the sake of my pick, I have Purdue by three. And we'll we'll see how that goes for the rest of the season. But I'm super excited for this game. Yeah. I think it'll be a, a fantastic back and forth. If you're a neutral college football fan in this, in this uh, game, it, it'll be a fantastic watch. There's meaning to it. Uh, in, in the Big Ten West, which is awesome as well. Something we didn't really think we'd see. And preseason, this was actually the only loss I had for Nebraska in the first eight games was was this Purdue game. So I guess I have to stick with, with that loss pick. But I think Nebraska falls to Purdue by field goal. Guys, any closing thoughts about this game before we wrap this thing up? You know, I respect Purdue for the fact that Jeff Brom has had opportunities to leave and he stayed there. And I think that's that they're reaping the benefits of that, that the loyalty that he's given to that program. Con- O'Connell's been there probably longer than Brahma's been there. 
But you know, I, I think you do have to, in this era of so much change and move and transfer portals and coaches' contracts, and when he decided not to go home to Louisville and stay at Purdue, and I hope he stays there uh, for their program, uh, I think that was great for him. I think it was great for the Big Ten, and it's certainly going to give them some strength in their program going forward. And I, I bet he's there for the long haul. Uh, I love what Mickey's done at Nebraska. I think it's just a different spirit there. I think the players believe in him. I think they now believe in each other. I think they believe in themselves, and I think that's great. And uh, I, I like the direction that Nebraska is going with with Mickey, and I think it's fun. Football here is a lot more fun now than mm-hmm. it was 30 days ago. Absolutely. Yes, you know, and you're talking about bowls and players and personalities and you know just even looking at guys at press conferences the players just have a light in their eyes when they talk now which is really kind of neat to see and uh, so yeah I think it's going to be fun Nebraska's got to have a good start on Saturday and they got to start well every game but this one in particular if things don't go well early it could get bad unlike at Rutgers when they were able to withstand that mm-hmm. but I like I like the direction yeah it'll it- I echo that, and look, I mean, if Nebraska wins this game, things go to a whole other level, like really quickly, and you have a full bye week. stay calm. You have a full bye week of everyone just losing their minds waiting for that Illinois game. So it, it'll be interesting. It'll it'll be really interesting to see what happens. But Waiting for the Illinois game and waiting for the decision to be made. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll be waiting be... way too long for that. Yeah, we have... How many more weeks? Six more weeks? Yeah, oh, God. it's it's, it's going to be a long, a long second roll. half. Ah. It could be it could be a fun second half, but it'll <laughs> be it'll be a long second half. I'm really excited for this. I'll be in the building for it as well, so that's I mean a lot of the reason why I'm excited for it. Should be a great game, and hopefully hopefully they pick up a win, and hopefully there's a, a good amount of red at the stadium because there has been the last couple of trips that have gone to Purdue. So yeah. that'll be an exciting thing to be a part of, but. That will do it for us on Husker Sports Weekly, episode number 102. We previewed Nebraska-Purdue and gave our picks for this week in college football. Hopefully, I can actually have an above 500 record when it comes to picks this Not week. Not likely. I don't know if it'll happen because it, it, my fantasy team's probably going to lose this week as well. So I need something. <laughs> and <laughs> we need something here to, to go our way um, outside of the actual sports that are happening. So, Bill, thank you so much for Anytime. setting aside yeah. time and talking thank to you. us. We know you have class here pretty soon, uh, but we really appreciate you coming on and, and talking some football with us. We'll be back on Sunday to talk reaction of Will Nebraska we? Purdue. Will we? I mean, we can. TBD. It's fall break. It's fall break. It is fall break. Might be Monday. TBD. TBD on the reaction episode. That'll be number six. But that's when we will talk to you again. Once again, you can find all three of us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27. Hanson, not Hanson, and at Bill Dolman. You can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks. We'll be back at some point to talk about Nebraska, Purdue, and give our reactions. But until then, go Big Red.